This is Jamie Dyer welcoming you to another edition of the Crowcast. And I'm joined by Chris, who joins me via Zoom. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Tell me, how did you get into Status Quo? Hi, Jamie. Hi, everybody. Well, um, I remember very clearly my first encounter with Status Quo. It was a Thursday night in 1972. I was I was nine years old, and like every other nine-year-old in the country, I was watching Top of the Pops because there was literally nothing else to do in those days. And um, there was the usual stream of of glam rock acts who were the sort of staples in, in of, of those times, and you know, all with their spangly guitars and their ridiculous Baco foil costumes. Um, and then suddenly this this band came on and the thing that struck me the, the first thing that struck me about the quo was that they were they were playing with their backs to the camera you know they're facing each other they were facing the drummer and you know this was these guys have got attitude i remember thinking you know you don't do that on telly this is this is quite something and and the state of those blokes i mean you know with the scruffy jeans and everything and um you know they were they were very much sort of anti-glam i guess you would you would say um uh, and and the racket they were making it was it was great i mean it wasn't a million miles away from what i'd got into with like slade and sweet and, and the bands that were doing it there it was the same kind of you know sort of slightly heavy sound but you know that insistent boogie beat um it really it really got to me and you know there's just the power and the 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 velocity of the whole thing and uh, of course they're playing paper plane which was their their first kind of hit of, of that sort of era and um and 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 that was it I've, um, and i've been a fan ever since so between there, what, what was the first album that you bought? Would that have been Piledriver? I think it was, yes. This was, it was a few years later because I only, I only bought singles when I was a kid. Um, but yes, I remember buying Piledriver. I mean, you, you take one look at the cover of Piledriver and you think, yes, I have to own this album because, you know, that, that iconic sort of image of, of the three of them with, with their hair flying all over the shop. Um, it just says everything about, about what, what we all love about status quo. And, uh, yeah, I think, think that was, that was my first album and, um, others were of course to, to, to follow. So again, how, how long between that and your first gig? Ah, well, um, I didn't actually see the quo until 1984. Um, I, I, I saw, um, and that, I think that was because they never seemed to play in Bristol, which is sort of my, my, my hometown. And I don't know, I've never actually had this definitely verified, but I believe that status quo got banned from playing at the Colston Hall, which is the main sort of um, concert hall in, in, in Bristol, because clearly they, they apparently they did a gig there somewhere in the mid-70s and the, the fans got a bit over-enthusiastic and started chucking chairs around and stuff. And the concert hall manager uh, sort of banned them said you know you're not playing here again you you long-haired scruffs or words to that effect um i don't know whether that's true but that's what somebody once told me um and it's certainly the case that um i never saw status quo in, in bristol i saw lots of other bands uh during my teenage years with my mate andy we used to go and see loads of loads of bands but i didn't actually catch up with the quo until 1984 and it was in hanover in germany um, because I was, I, I did, I was doing a, a languages degree by then, and I was doing part of my year abroad in in Hanover, 
And um, so I saw them there. It was on the um, what was supposed to be the end of the road tour. What I remember most about that gig was that um, about one third of the audience were British squaddies because there was a massive British army presence in in Hanover and sort of northern Germany. This was like the, the height of the Cold War and everything. Um, and they'd all got pass outs to, to, to go and see the quo. And they stood out like sore thumbs because they all had military haircuts. And they were somewhat conspicuous amongst the rest of the audience who sort of basically had hair down to their backsides. But it was uh, it was a, a, a good good gig. And um, I felt very pleased that I'd, I'd finally seen, seen these guys in concept. And I'm sure like many, you thought, I'm not going to see these guys again, because like you say, it was billed as the end of the road tour. Yes. I mean, I was never entirely sure what was going on. I mean, we, we now know that there was all sorts of trouble during those era, during that era. And, you know, cocaine was, was, was causing all sorts of problems. And I, I don't think I ever fully believed that the quo would just stop because you know what 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 happens afterwards um and you know the the following year they were they were they were playing at live aid it was only later that i really kind of realized just how sort of touch and go and how close they were to, to 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 basically knocking it on the head and doing something different but the the last time that i have seen them until now was uh a couple of years ago on the I think it was called the last of the electrics tour. So I think there is a, a an interesting, I, I, I don't think, so I've actually seen the same band play two separate farewell tours, 33 years apart, which has to set some sort of record. But that would have been with Richie Malone. Yes. Yes. I think, I think Rick, Rick was, was, was still on the planet at that point, but he was, he, he, he sort of stepped back from the band and uh, yeah, Richie Malone was on, um, on rhythm and um, doing a fine job as, as he has continued to do since, um, since, since joining the band a, a few years ago. So let's talk albums. So you would have got Pile Driver a few years later because that was kind of your introduction to the band through Paper Plane. But uh, a lot has been said about that sort of 72 to 76 period. Do you think that that is perhaps the, you know, the best as they consider it to be? It's, it, it's the, it's the era that I like best. I mean, it's the, the sort of the golden era of, you know, heads down, no nonsense, boogie quo, um, which if you are a quo fan, you know, that, that is the, that is the point of status quo, I guess they, they, they they kind of scratch that itch in a way that uh, very few few bands can do, but I think it's it, it it's quite striking with with a lot of Quo fans is that they, um, you know, that a lot of, of Quo fans would say, well, everything after rocking all over the world was a load of rubbish, and you know, they I can't be doing with that, and you know, it is quite remarkable that so many people basically disregard about forty five years worth of of of, of a band's output i i think it's it's possibly unique to, to status quo i mean you don't tend to get beatles fans say well oh, they should have stuck with the two minute pop songs can't be doing with all this uh, strawberry fields forever nonsense so you know it's a it's a funny thing that uh, a lot of quo fans do but you know i think you know the quo have done some some good music throughout their career but you have to go back to to the early 70s and you know that was when they were defining themselves i suppose and um it's certainly those 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 five albums from pile driver through to uh blue for you and and the live album yeah they definitely count as my favorites i think though they they a little bit like the beatles 
kind of continued to reinvent themselves in different ways. By the time you discovered them in 72, they'd already been a psychedelic pop outfit. I mean, what what did you make of it when you first discovered that fact? Well, it was it was a bizarre thing. I mean, um, I remember somebody at school playing me pictures of Matchstick Men and saying, do you know who this band is? And if it wasn't for the fact that I, I recognized Francis Rossi's quite distinctive vocal, I'd never have guessed. So, um, yeah, it is true. I mean, they they underwent this this radical transformation, sort of like a, a metamorphosis, sort of in the in the early seventies, as they they ditched all that uh, psychedelic stuff and 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 got into playing playing heavy heavy boogie. And you know, bands have to evolve to um, to to survive. And you know, Quo have evolved quite subtly one would say because they're still very much um recognizable from, from from what they were doing in the early days um but um it's it's, it's just great that they're they're still going because you know when i look back on my life i'm, I'm 58 years old now and you know, only two things really have been constant throughout my life one is the queen and the other is status quo and they, they've just always been there and it's kind of quite hard to imagine that one day they won't be but um i can't believe i'm about to say this but like the the queen uh there's lots of legacy lots of things to look back at yes there is i mean um they've had um they've done so, so much in their in their career um when you you think about the uh the, the the crazy stunts that they pulled like the the was it the rock to you drop thing where they they played four gigs in four countries in 24 hours i mean that's 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 just insane um and um i mean i think they lost their way a little bit with all of the um cover cover albums that they that the albums are cover versions that they did in the 90s they that got a bit got a bit uh, tedious um but um yeah i mean they they have um they've become national treasures i suppose a bit like the queen and you know um, rossi and 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 uh, parfit sort of became a a kind of almost a showbiz double act at one point they were on tv the whole time sort of doing their uh their, their bad boy banter and um, it always went down very well um and uh, you know i think i think the, the the quo have reinvented themselves to the extent that they've needed to but um they've always kept that insistent sort of 12 bar thing in the background which um has, has sort of propelled them um through I think, I think it's 33 albums they've they've released now in, yeah. in 50 years, which is an extraordinary record. You touched upon something there. You mentioned the Rossi Parfit double act. Do you think that perhaps hurt their credibility a little bit? Well, to some extent. I mean, I think that they, they went a bit showbiz at one point um, and they were, I, I, I I recall sort of seeing videos of them sort of popping up on various TV shows. I think they did a, a kids TV show once where they were sort of being, have had gunk chucked at them the whole time they were playing uh, Gert and Gert and Dula, um, which presumably was the only song they could think of. They could play on, on acoustics so that they didn't sort of electrocute themselves when buckets of water went over their guitars. Yeah. That will be the tis was reunited. Um, That's what it was. Special yes. from a few years ago. Yeah. It confused a lot of people. <laughs> yes, yes. T- Tiz was was one of the one of the great joys of uh, of growing up in the seventies. Um, and I I don't know whether they they appeared on the original Tiz Wars. I wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if they did. They I think did Chris- actually. There, there's a 
great clip, I think, of Rick Parfit and, and Andy Bowen, uh, Bowen uh, dressed as sunflowers, I think. <laughs> that's that's standard for Tiswas. I mean, I know Chris Tarrant was a was a huge rock fan, so he he uh, he he got a lot of the the, the heavy bands on on Tiswas, which was supposedly a kids show, but absolutely wasn't. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, you talked about their credibility, and they did um, they did a, a series of commercials for a, a supermarket chain in Australia. Um, mangling down down at one point of all of all songs, and I, I, I've never been to Australia, but I've seen I've seen the videos, and you sort of think, oh guys, why did you have to do that? But you know, several hundred thousand Australian dollars was probably the answer why they why they did it. So you know, um, I like the uh, I like the acoustic whatever you want advert from Coles supermarkets. Um, that's mm. that's also. Because the the down down one is the one everybody remembers, but that they did a, a bunch of acoustic ones as well, which ended up becoming acoustic. Ah, well, that that was that was the root of of the acoustic, was it? That was the, what what turned it turned them onto it. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that Francis mentioned that in an interview somewhere. Right, right, and yeah, I I really liked the uh, the the acoustic stuff because um, I mean I play a bit of guitar myself and I like sort of arranging music and it was fascinating to hear how they'd sort of taken their own stuff and, and reworked it for a, a basically a different medium and I think a lot of it worked surprisingly well. Um, I mean there are some songs like Burning Bridges I think actually work better with the uh, sort of played as a, a kind of like a, a sort of a barn dance hoedown sort of thing i think i think that they work particularly well in in that style possibly better than than, than the original recording and and others you know they they just gave it a slightly different flavor and there were there was a there was an accordion on it and sort of female backing vocals and i you know i i, I really like those uh, those recordings it did split a lot of people i think it, it was uh, quite controversial i mean the the front cover was a little bit of a, of, of a mixed reaction. And obviously the fact that the album was called Stripped Bare and then there were more instruments on it <laughs> than would normally be there. That's true. That's true. I mean, uh, splitting hairs, I would, I would say, on, the, um, on the, the instrumentation front because it was different kinds of instruments, wasn't it? You know, a lot of, um, you know, there's a fiddle there and, a, and an accordion. Um, no, I liked it. And what was, what was interesting was how so many of the songs on the two acoustic albums came from the the early 70s albums because a lot of people don't or have forgotten that um you know albums like pile driver and hello have got some really good sort of quiet ballad songs that work quite well in the um in the, in the sort of stripped down uh, approach and you know, even even an album like like Piledriver with the with the cover and everybody thinks it's the epitome of, you know, heads down reckless boogie. You know, there's actually some really really nice tender songs on that. You know, a, a year, a beautiful song, quite a, quite poignant song, um, unspoken words, sort of semi acoustic blues, which I absolutely love, which I don't think they did on acoustic, but they've always had that element um, of writing really good melodies. And yeah, that's why Status Quo have been such a massively successful band is because they've written songs that, or melodies that people can hum. You know, even even Caroline, you know, which is which is classic sort of heads down rock. 
you know, it's got that that chorus, come on, sweet Caroline. You know, people can sing along with that in the pub. So, um, yeah, there there are many parts to uh, to, to status quo, and uh, that's that's there are many secrets to how they've been as successful as they are. I, I feel. And the acoustic albums uh, gave them an opportunity to exploit that. I mean, the funny, I think the funniest comment I saw for acoustic two was when that's a fact came out. And someone accused them of plagiarizing George Michael um, <laughs> because of the rhythm. Yes. And it's like, but if you go back to the original That's a Fact from the Blue For You album, uh, it has that rhythm. It's just mm. a lot more kind of overblown. You know, it's much bigger. Yes, yes. And I think we should all ask ourselves, was George Michael a closet quo fan? I don't know what the answer to that is. But yeah, I mean, you know, music music comes around and people pick up influences from 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 all over the shop don't they um and it you know if it hadn't been for chuck berry status quo would never have existed you know they that's that's their you know that that's a that's their sort of closest living relative i suppose in terms of the musical taxonomy of of, of where they come from and of course they covered quite a few chuck berry songs over over the years um notably bye bye johnny of course on um the on, on the level on, album on the level and and the live album um, although my favourite Chuck Berry cover that they did is um, was Carol. On, I, knew, I knew you were going to say that. Never too late because it's just it's just heads down. Let's go for it, and I I I absolutely love that cover. And then you find out that it was recorded in Rick Parfit's games room or something, um, which What's makes it? it even better somehow. It it somehow just feels like a jam. Yes. Well, at the at the start, you've got me going one, two, three, four, one, two, and you, you, and sometimes bands sort of put that in to to kind of make it sound a bit more kind of homespun, um, and it's all a little bit unauthentic. But I can quite believe that, you know, they've been. Um, they possibly been on the beer a, a little bit and um, said, "Hey, let's record a, a Chuck Berry cover," and um, away they went. And it, it has that that kind of authenticity about it. That, that kind of let's not overcomplicate things. Let's uh, let's just turn it up to eleven and go for it. I mean, the chances are, if they hadn't have recorded it in '81, they may have done it on one of the covers albums because I think it was a favourite. Yes, yes, um, there were there, there were a, an awful lot of songs did get the treatment, didn't they? During during those those covers out cover version albums in the '90s, you know, some 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 very surprising uh covers you know i mean the um when you walk in the room for example was one of them the sort of with a classic sort of 60s pop tune um and they were very good at at taking um material that you wouldn't think would work in a in a status quo context and just giving it that little bit of quo edge and because they were such good musicians and such sort of crafters of melody uh they could get away with it the one that comes to mind is safety dance i mean that was uh that was a bizarre choice but somehow it works for me yes yes and um you know i mean of all of the most unlikely cover versions they ever did probably in the army now would probably sort of rank because it's a very unquo kind of song but it was it was one of their biggest hits um and 
it was, I mean, it's got that, that wonderful kind of hook of, whoa, whoa, you're in the army, which everyone can sing along with. But that was, that was really good. And of course, that was the first record they released after the sort of the mid 80s kind of collapse of the band and you know alan alan lancaster leaving and 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 so on we, we hadn't heard anything from quo for quite a while and you know are they still alive are they still going and then suddenly they come up with this song which is very different from from everything that we thought status quo were all about but it was it was a really good song and and very well done and i think it it really gave the sort of the 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 second incarnation of their career, uh, a big boost that, that they had made such a left field kind of choice of song and done it so well. Do you think perhaps they should have stayed on that track that they were on within the army now? Because it kind of felt a little bit like after that, they were going sort of back to what they did before, but just with extra layers on it. Yeah. Um, well, they could have done, but I, I think... In the army now is 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 a one-off. I mean, if they'd gone very much more along those lines, it it they would probably have, have changed their name and, and not been status quo anymore. Because you know, um, if if there's no if there's no boogie going on, if there aren't any twelve bars in sight, then it, it just isn't isn't status quo. In terms of commercial success, you have to say that they that they um, they they went the right way. Um, at, at most points, you know, not in, not necessarily in terms of their credibility, but they didn't make too many left turns or right turns in their career, which were big sort of commercial flops. So, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why they've kept going as long as they have. Well, they have had a few commercial kind of failures, haven't they? Things that didn't quite go as perhaps they expected, like Perfect Remedy, uh, for example, uh, the... Um, deal they had in 1991 with water company that went bust or something uh, they had a song tied in with that that then they still released as a single even though you know they changed the song around Do you know which song that was uh no i don't that was the re-recording of can't give you more ah right okay okay it's highly educational coming coming to speak with you jamie because <laughs> you your your knowledge is, is more encyclopedic than my own considerably more but yeah but i mean they yes of course they, they've made a few full steps but they they've always bounced back and you know reading the um the the autobiography the the excess all areas book that, that that rick and francis did it was phenomenal how often rick said you know i was rolling in money and i had you know 10 porsches in the garage and then i shoved it all up my nose and it you know, was broken and, and then I got rich again, and you know it was just a sort of a, a roller coaster of um, of of success, and then and then you know uh, problems, but the, the problems always seem to be overcome. Um, and you know they were they were right back in the game before too long. Um, they they were fairly fairly irrepressible status quo over their over their career. I think perhaps what happened was they always tried to keep up. They always say, don't they, that they never keep up with trends. They just kept doing what they were doing. And it's like, yeah, but if you compare them perhaps with other bands from their era, they did keep up with certain things. Um, 
you know what I mean? Yes, yes. I mean, they, they have updated their sound as they've gone along. I mean, you know, the um, striking example of that was in the um, the late 70s in the sort of rocking all over the world where they sort of suddenly produced a much slicker production, um, which wasn't to everybody's taste, but uh, certainly updated their sound. And then on albums like We Can't Stand the Heat, they started introducing horn sections on on, on some of the songs, which just gave the sound that little extra dimension. And, you know, I think um, they have been, been, been quite good at um, uh, yeah, playing with um, just, just uh, sort of innovating here and there uh, to, to, to make themselves as relevant as you, you can be when you are status quo and you're, you're plowing a, a very, very particular furrow that your fans don't want you to leave too far behind. So you mentioned there the uh, the sort of late seventies, the way that they changed their sounds with with horns. I mean, what did you make of that change? I I quite liked it. I thought uh, kind of. I, I know their music often gets termed as pub rock. I felt that with the horns, it felt more like bar rock. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> if that's yeah. a thing, right? Yes, yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, well, I, I thought it was good, and I think I think those kind of late seventies, early eighties albums that they, the the quo sort of found um, a style which really worked for them commercially, certainly because they had some massive hits um, in that time, sort of whatever you want and so on. But they had the confidence to fall back on um, you know production techniques which they wouldn't have used on on on. Pile driver or quo or whatever, um, but they they had the energy and they had the 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 power behind the songs to 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 make it work. Um, you know, I mean, songs like um, "Don't Drive My Car" is is not a, a typical quo song, and the, the the keyboards start to come through um, a bit more strongly, but it is unmistakably uh, status quo. And you know, they they they. For me, they they managed to achieve the knack of just sort of broadening their sound without losing the the momentum and the 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 energy of um, of, of what they had always stood for. And I mean, it all started going a little bit wrong with um, um, I think back to back wasn't wasn't their greatest album, but um, certainly that uh, sort of late seventies, early eighties was a was a, a pretty strong um, phase. Uh, for the quo, even though that was the the start of the problems with 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 the personnel and the uh, um, the, the the white powder. Yeah. So, as a fan of the band, uh, what album would you recommend to people? Like, what what is the thing that you're spinning more often than than others? I think my all time favorite album is probably Quo. Um, I think it just um, works beautifully. It's it's just got some some really strong songs on it, um, and it's got Slow Train, which is um, Quo's kind of hidden classic. I mean, it's it's just um, it's almost prog in the way that it changes direction and it has multiple parts to it, um, and and the way it it fits together. Um, and but it's it's just got that wonderful sort of jig with um, uh, with uh, with Rick and Francis sort of playing uh, kind of harmony sort of guitar parts and um, and it's I, 
absolutely absolutely love that song i, I like it better than 4500 times which is the, the, the big quo fan favorite but to me that's a little bit sort of rambling slow train is is well constructed it it sort of doesn't outstay its welcome and it's it's got a start a middle and a finish and and it's great and it caps a really really good album so that is i think i think the essence of of the band my all-time favorite quo song is also my all-time favorite song by anybody at all which is caroline um because i think that's just everything that i love about rock and roll just distilled into three and a bit minutes of rock and roll wonderfulness and um, i have given instructions for that song to be played at my funeral um quite loud at the end of the funeral I quite like the idea of people walking out of the funeral, sort of massaging their ears and saying, actually, perhaps it's not such a bad thing. He's gone. Um, but uh, no, I think that's, uh, that, that's definitely my, uh, my all time favorite. Well, it's, it's a very popular song and obviously a single and uh, the, uh, you know, one of the shining lights of the hello album. I mean, that, that was really, that was their first, number one album did you buy it um i did um not at the time um i think i bought it in a secondhand record shop in in bristol when i was about 16 um when i was sort of catching up on my on my back catalogue um but yes that was um that was a that was yeah i I do remember buying it i remember taking it home and discovering that um the album version of caroline has has double the amount of opening riff than the the single the the radio edit does for the single um so you know there's more more quo for your for your pound yeah um it's it's a a great album i love um i love hello really good well ironically we're gonna say um we're gonna say goodbye uh because well we've come to about half an hour um but thank you chris i realize we could talk about this for ages and uh one of the reasons why i'm stopping is my computer is about to die um i use a desktop computer and i'm sat if i've been very quiet it's because i've sat here while everything and my computer just shuts down slowly so we should right. probably end it there but thank you so much for coming on the podcast today do you plan on seeing quo again in the future oh, i very much hope so yes i hope so I, I i haven't got any definite plans but um yeah um when they when they, they sort of head our way um next time I'll, I'll certainly be looking up looking at uh getting some tickets because they do come to where well, you're you're not in bristol are you no i i now live in in kent um so it's basically an hour away from london so that's where i, I see most of my bands these days um, although i did see them in bedgebury forest the quo played there about 10 years ago and they did a san they did a fantastic gig on one of these forestry commission package tours and um, that was one of the one of the better quo gigs that i've seen in the open air surrounded by pine trees it was rather good so what was good about it it was it was the first time I'd seen them for quite a while. And the, the previous time I'd seen them was during the 90s when they kind of went off the boil and they 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 did a very uninspiring gig in Brighton that I went to see where their, their heart didn't seem to be in it. It was as though they were doing cover versions of their own songs. It was it was bizarre. And I had slight trepidation going back to see them again uh, quite a few years later uh, in Bedbury Forest. Um, 
but they got up and they were rocking and it was great. And, uh, you know, my, my, I, I was relieved to see that the old status quo with the, the, the sort of the power, the energy, the sense of humor, it was all there. It all come back. And I thought, yeah, these guys, these guys have rediscovered it. Yeah. Really, really, really good, sh- really good show. And uh, well worth the um, hour and a half wait to get out of the car park afterwards. Yeah. I think that happens at most shows, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for being on the podcast today. Jamie, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. 